Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Colossians and chapter number one. The book of Colossians and chapter number one. We just now started this series of the book of Colossians, just walking through this verse by verse, getting an understanding. This morning we took some time to give some of the backdrop and try to see the purpose of this, that the apostle Paul is using his apostolic authority to try to warn, educate, and train the church to make sure that their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is anchored down a mile deep on several different doctrinal issues. The reason why is outside in the city of Colossae, a cult is beginning to form. And this cult, if left unchecked, if the people in the church are not prepared, they're going to be swept away by every wind of doctrine. And so the book of Colossians is very important of anchoring down the faith and having practical wisdom in our Christian life. We continue with the book of Colossians in chapter number one, and we pick it up, if you don't mind, starting at verse one to give a running start to where we're at currently. The book of Colossians chapter one, starting at verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you, uh, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Colossians chapter number one? The book of Colossians chapter one, and notice with me a phrase in verse number five. Notice the phrase, the hope which is laid up for you. The hope which is laid up for you. And with the Lord's help, we're going to continue to explore this important book this book of Colossians. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God, a God who loves us so very much. And we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you'd give us mercy. You'd give us understanding as we open up this book here that we too can nail some things down deep inside of our own personal life, our life in Christ, so that way we can be protected if things try to blow against us with doctrine, with people's ideas, people's perception, people's false hopes. For tonight, we're just asking that you would provide your strength and your wisdom for me, that you could provide the feeling of your spirit for you to get your own work accomplished and an understanding for everyone that hears. Lord, give me special strength for tonight as I'm depending upon you in a special way. 
Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word hope is a very important word, and we'll talk about the hope in just a second. But the hope of the people of Colossae is quite simple. The hope of these people is the gospel. The gospel. The gospel surrounds itself with several key words. Each of these key words are going to be vital to the Christian life. These words are mentioned by the Apostle Paul concerning the people of Colossae. We notice these four words in order. Notice if you don't mind, and we're going to put special emphasis on them in a second. Verse number four, we have the word faith. Verse number four, we also have the word love. The verse number five, we have the word hope. And then in verse number five, towards the end, we have the word truth. All of these four words surrounding the gospel are going to be under attack in the city of Colossae. Remember, as we said before, that the church of Colossae was founded, and right now they are about ready to enter a storm, that there is a cult starting to form on the outside, and they want to sweep away the members of the church of Colossae. However, these four words are going to be the anchor stones that keep each one of these members safe and secure and not blown around with every wind of the doctrine. By the way, all four of these words are going to be the principles that our salvation is based off of. This idea of faith, uh, love, hope, and truth. If you don't mind, let's take this passage here and see how it applied to the church of Colossae. The first word we wanted to put our attention to is this word faith. This word faith. Notice if you don't mind in verse 3 and 4. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, as context sake, just let me remind you that the Apostle Paul is currently in Rome. And he is in Rome under house arrest, currently chained to a Roman soldier. And for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the Apostle Paul has to be remained chained to a guard. And so he is a prisoner at this time. And yet he is writing to the church of Colossae that he says, we give thanks to God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I want to tell you something before we start. I've been praying for you. Why has the apostle Paul been praying for this church? Well, notice if you don't mind in verse number four, he says, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as I explained this morning, the apostle Paul never started the church of Colossae. It was not one of his works. He had was in the church of Colossia, or sorry, Ephesus. And in the church of Ephesus, he began to teach at a Bible institute, a Bible school. And several people got that, grabbed a hold of it, and they went out and started the church of Colossae. In fact, as far as we ever, uh, we, we know through history, is that the apostle Paul never even stood, uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, that the apostle Paul never even stood foot in the church of Colossae. He had never been there. It was just something that was started outside of him. And yet he's saying, listen, I may never been to your church. I may never preached the church. I never was the guest. I never started the church. But there's one thing I've heard even though I wasn't there. What did I hear about this church? I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. What a powerful testimony for any church to have. Their faith 
in Jesus Christ. Wow, think about that. That the Apostle Paul, who's never been to this church, is writing to them and saying, listen, you have faith in Jesus Christ. And people all around the world have heard that this little church and this small little town has heard about your faith. And he says, since I heard about your faith, I have been determined to pray for your church, even though I've never been there. I never started it. I never attended there, never stepped foot there. I have determined to pray for your church because I heard of its faith. Isn't that encouraging that a small little church can be known by its faith and that people all over are praying for that little church because of the faith that they have? That's a little bit encouraging, isn't it? And to think of the Apostle Paul, you imagine how big his prayer list was? Who was responsible for starting, as far as we know, at least 120 churches. That's a lot. And all those people that are represented in all of those churches. And yet Paul says, listen, I've heard of your faith and I determine I want to pray for you. I've been praying for you and I want to keep you going. I want to encourage you. Whatever I can do to help you move forward, I'm here for you. I've been praying for you because I heard about your faith. What attracted the Apostle Paul to this need to pray for this church? It was their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this becomes important as we start talking about anchoring ourselves down doctrinally and anchoring ourselves down so we're not blown around with every wind of doctrine. We have to talk about faith. When we talk about faith, there's a lot of people who speak about how much faith they have. I got to have faith. I got to have faith. Got to have faith. But the thing is, is not how much faith we have. Rather, it's centered on the object of our faith. The object of our faith. And so this church of Colossae had determined they were going to put their faith, their trust, their dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That they weren't trusting in the government. They weren't trusting in a human leader. They weren't trusting in the mailman. They weren't trusting that the weather would turn good. They were, weren't trusting in the volcano that they were sitting right next to wasn't going to blow up. They were trusting in Jesus Christ. Their faith was anchored in the person of God the Son, of Jesus Christ. That my hope and my trust is in Him. We know that the faith in a wrong person or the wrong faith ends up being worse than having no faith at all. If someone's putting their faith in their baptism, then what happens is that baptism is going to hurt that people. They have it in the wrong object. If they have their faith in their church, then they have their faith in the wrong object and it's going to end up hurting them. Let me give an example. Let's say that someone has their faith in their church. Let's give an example of the Catholic church. Well, what happens when a brand new pope decides he's going to make a brand new proclamation? Well, if he's a good Catholic, then he has to follow what the pope says. Therefore, if the pope is wrong, then their, their belief system is going to be wrong and they could be blown around with every wind of the doctrine. You say, but popes don't change their mind. Oh yeah, they do. There was a time there had three popes all at once and they were all fighting with each other. It was called the big schism. There was a lots of issues that occurred on there. But the faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Our faith in Jesus Christ will never let us down. Our faith in Jesus Christ will never disappoint. When we wait on God and put our faith and dependence upon him, the Bible says that we'll never be ashamed. And when our faith is in Jesus Christ, then our faith is not misplaced. We won't get blown around. Now again, this is all talking about and preparing to have this church weather a storm. You know, there are some people that may even put their faith in a pastor. I used to tell people, please don't put your... Uh, Put me on a pedestal because I don't want God to knock me off to teach you a lesson. People say, well, I don't go to church anymore. Why? Because people hurt me. Well, then your faith was not in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will never hurt you. People are people. They're going to fail. If you put your faith in people, prepare to be disappointed. By the way, if you put faith in yourself, prepare to be disappointed. But the faith placed in the Lord Jesus Christ is never misplaced faith. So the first word that is mentioned here, the apostle Paul says it's your faith. I determined that I'm going to pray for you and I determined that I'm going to lift you up to the throne room of grace because I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful testimony. The next word that is mentioned here and also another reason why the Apostle Paul was praying for them is also in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love which you have, you have to all the saints. Paul also determined to pray for the people <coughs> and as part of the church of Colossae because of the love they exhibited. By the way, Jesus had mentioned this. Hereby shall all men know that you're my disciples. Why? If you love one another. You know, there is something about this love that we have towards other believers. When we decide we're going to go to war to other believers and we're always fighting and squabbling, well, that's a poor testimony. How are you going to anchor and, and, um, and weather a storm? Well, we're not fighting each other when we love one another. By the way, this word love is a love that cost me something with no hope in return. It's very easy to love people that could do something for you back. But this is a type of love that you love people and hope that they, something may happen to them. But if not, you're still loving them anyways. Amen. To care for people when they're unlovely. By the way, we all started of lovely, unlovely. Half of us are still unlovely. God, when God brought us to salvation, he didn't get a prize. He got something that he had to work at to get something out of it. And all the work that God put into us, he'll never get out of us. And yet Christ chose to love us anyways. That's the type of love we should have for people. We should love people even if they're unlovely. We should love people even if they're hard to love. For the purpose that we're trying to invest in them with maybe one day they may get an investment out of them. But if not, we're still going to love on people. Now this becomes important because we get hurt. We can invest in people. My wife and I, she's back there, she can't hear me now. My wife for over 20 years and I, it seems like every time we buy a family, their kids a suit, their family leaves soon. It's just one of those weird things. It just, you know, we love on them. We're investing in them. We're trying to take care of them. And then next thing you know, they leave or they hurt or whatever else. 
Does that mean that we stop doing it? We're not doing it no more. We've been burned too many times. We can understand why people get hurt. But this type of love says, I'm going to do it anyways, even if they end up hurting me. This is a rare type of love. But a church to be known to have this type of love. Now, by the way, we'll define our terms. This idea of love doesn't mean we let anything go. Sometimes the most loving thing you could do for someone is tell them no. That you'll love them enough to say, no, we're not going to allow this to go on. No, you can't continue on this. No, you have green in your teeth that maybe you should fix to be able to correct them. That's part of that love. Not doing it in a mean way, but loving them enough to care for them, to want them to want better for themselves. You know, that's the type of love that, that is truly life-changing. When you love someone with a purpose that you want them to be better than what they truly are. That you want to invest in them. What can I do to help you succeed? What can I do to help you become the person you ought to be? It's amazing that even in marriages, they spend so many time tearing each other down that they can't succeed. But if they would turn that cat around and try to work with them so that way they could invest and say, what can I do to make you succeed? How can I help you be the person that you ought to be? things turn around pretty quick. And when church folks learn to do that, to take someone and say, what can we do to help you succeed? We're willing to take the time. We're willing to invest that, <laughs> that love in you to help you succeed in what God has given you to do. So this church of Colossae, Paul had never been there, but he's heard a couple things from them. He's heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's heard about the love which ye have had to all the saints. Notice there's a third thing here in verse number five. Also, for, why is he praying for them? For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. What a wonderful thing, that word hope. The word hope in the Bible is not how we use the word hope today. Today, some of you say, well, I hope it doesn't rain. Maybe some of you said, I hope it does rain. But we use that word as a wishful, a wistful thing. But the word hope in the Bible is a confident expectation of something or someone sure to come. Our hope is solid and it is sure. By the way, if we truly have hope, then we become a hopeful people. There's nothing more pitiful than watching a sour, pathetic, depressed Christian. If God is still on the throne and our hope and faith is in Jesus Christ, then we are a hopeful people. That the sky is not falling. There is hope for a better tomorrow. There is hope that someone will fix. There is hope that prayers will be answered. There is still hope. We need to be characterized as a hopeful people. Now, we know that we live in a world where people are sad and depressed and horrible. We know even Christians who seems to have a dark rain cloud following them, almost like the cartoons, that they step over here and the rain cloud follows them and they step over here and the rain cloud follows them and they just step into a room and it automatically darkens the whole room and that you try to spend time with them and it just seems like that, that depression rolls off. We should be a hopeful people because we have a God who's sitting on the throne. We have a God who has everything well in charge. And everything is going well. 
Now it's interesting the order of these words that we had faith, then love, then hope. Faith has to do with the content of salvation. Faith is our believing in Jesus Christ. It's the content of salvation. Love has to do with the character of our salvation. That if we're truly saved, it's going to be reflected in our love. And our hope has to do with the consummation of our salvation. That we're looking forward to our hope being carried out and fulfilling everything that it was supposed to fulfill. That God is going to come back and fulfill all those promises. That's our blessed hope that Jesus Christ is coming back to do what he said he was going to do. You say, how can you be hopeful in a dark world? Well, listen, my home's heaven, not here. Listen, the worst they could do is put me to death. Absent from the body, he's present from the Lord. I can still have hope even if they execute me. We should be hopeful people. And it should come off of us. And it should be something that characterizes a church. Especially a church that's going to be able to weather any kind of storm that swings by. That a church needs to have faith in Jesus Christ. They need to have a love for the brethren. They need to have a hope. That God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Our hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Notice there's another word that's here. It says in verse number 5. And for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Truth is what everything in the Christian life is based on. It's not our emotions and it's not our feelings. By the way, aren't you glad for that? Because there's plenty of times we wake up in the morning and we don't feel saved. Amen. There are times that we wake up in the morning and we don't look saved. There may be times we wake up in the morning and we don't smell saved. But I'm so thankful that salvation's not based off of a feeling. It's based, based, based off of the truth of what God's word says. I'm so thankful that my hope is based off of truth and not on a feelings. I'm glad that I don't have to feel hopeful for me to have hope. What does that mean? My hope is based off of what God said, and I'm trusting in that. It's not based off of feelings. I can have a solid hope because it's based off of truth. Now, the truth had come to Colossae. In addition, the gospel was starting to take root in all of the world. The book of Acts only tells part of the story of what is going on. So much is going on silently as the gospel makes its way during this time. As Paul is now in prison and the book of Acts is recording just his journeys as it uh, swapped from Peter to Paul and started to trace his journeys. At the same time, the gospel is now spreading out to Babylon. At the time, it's going past the Euphrates and the gospel is extending all the way up to India. The same time, Paul has his eyes set on Spain and he is hopeful that he is going to make it to Spain where the gospel hadn't been heard at. Earlier, Paul had told the church at Rome that he had fully preached the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to um, Iker um, Ikernium, excuse me, 
which is modern day Yugoslavia. So think about this. He preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way up to modern day Yugoslavia. He says, I fully preached the gospel. I let everyone hear at that time. That's a wide swath of 1,500 miles that he had been spreading the gospel past. The gospel is now spreading all over by people outside of the Apostle Paul. We know that the gospel had found its way to Colossae the same way that it found its way to Rome, independent of the other apostles. That people got saved in the church of Colossae. Remember that these were people that came to know the Lord and was discipled and taught by Paul inside of Ephesus. And from Ephesus, they went to Colossae and started a church. Others went to um, <coughs> Laodicea, went to Hyconium. Same thing happened at Rome. There was a bunch of believers that got saved and went and started a church at Rome outside of Peter, outside of Paul. The gospel is going on and spreading. The gospel is spreading into Africa. It's spreading into Asia. It's spreading into Europe. The gospel was on the march. During this time, it was an exciting time. Why? Because the early church was a missionary church. The truth was marching on. That the truth needed to be spread everywhere. And the church was determined that they were going to go. Think about this. Almost every book in the New Testament was written by a foreign missionary. Every epistle of the New Testament that was addressed to an individual, that person being addressed was someone who was saved, was a convert from a foreign missionary. Think about Timothy, foreign missionary. Titus, foreign missionary. Philemon, foreign missionary. Think about the letters of 2nd John and 3rd John. Those were written to people that were saved on the mission field. All, <laughs> every epistle addressed to a church was addressed to a foreign mission church. To the church of Corinthians, to the church at Rome, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of uh, the churches of Philippians, to the churches, or sorry, the church of Philippi, to the churches of Galatia, to the church of Colossae. All of those were foreign churches, missionary churches. All of the apostles, except for one who was a traitor, became a missionary. Every one of them spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem and spread all throughout the region. Some of the apostles were said to even make it as far as England. Some of the apostles made it as far as India. Spreading the gospel as far as they can go. In fact, the disciples were first called Christians in a foreign land. They were called Christians at the church of Antioch. So what does this mean? What this is doing is saying that a church that is going to be anchored down and be able to withstand the doctrine, there's a couple of things that's going to be true of them. Their faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's anchored down on the person of Christ. The one thing about a church that's going to be anchored down to weather the storms is that they're going to have love for the brethren. 
You want to talk about a church that's vulnerable to attack as you have a church that's squabbling together. Like the church of Corinth. What's another thing? They had hope. You know, we have a hope that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And because I have a hope, I want to tell other people about the hope. And then they also had the truth. And the truth is what needed to be spread out. And because they had these four things, the natural conclusion is that they were going to continue to spread the gospel. They were going to continue to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was encouraging. The Apostle Paul says, this is a type of church I could get behind. This is a type of church that I want to pray for. This is a type of church that I want to invest in so they could be the very best they can for the Lord. This is a church that's marching forward. This is a church that's going on. By the way, what kind of church should we be? We should be a church that's all involved in telling people about the gospel. That our main purpose and our main investment is being mission minded. Meaning not just foreign missions, but understanding that the biggest mission field are outside of these four walls. That everyone we meet is a mission field candidate. They need to know about Jesus Christ. We need to tell anyone and everyone. This should be our investment. This should be our goal. This should be what we're doing. Is that we are trying to reach the gospel to every person. This is a functioning church. Now as a practical thing. How does a church weather a storm? Many people remember many years ago. We had a series of building and battling. And one of the main emphasis we place there. Is that we pick the battlefield. There is always going to be building and battling. But we pick where the battlefield is. And so if we choose to go out into the world. And go out to battle. And to win people to the Lord. To spread the gospel out. Then that's where the enemy is going to meet us. However, if we retreat back into the safety of our four walls. That's where the enemy is going to meet us and will be under attack here. How does a church remain to be strong? How does it be able to survive when we're going out telling everyone about the Lord? When we're bringing the battle out there and we're safe and secure and our truth and our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nailing it down that we're going to believe in the Bible and we're going to believe in the great hope that we have. When we are hopeful people ourselves, not a defeated people. How many churches do we know are so defeated? Oh, well, we're just going to endure till the end. We're just going to hold on. We should be advancing forward as far as we can. Are we a hopeful people? We know there are false doctrine that's swinging around, which is again one of the great emphasis. Every Christian needs to know what they believe and why they believe it. That you should not be at the place where people say, well, why do you believe this? Well, because my church does. Why do you believe this? Well, because my pastor said so. Why do you believe this? Because mama told me so. No, you should know what you believe and why you should believe it. You should be able to have an open Bible and say, this is why we do this. Why do you go, guys go to church on Sunday? Let me show you. Why do you go on Sunday night? That's a good question. Let me show you. Why do you dress like that? Well, let me show you. Why do you go soul winning? Because we do this. Why do you carry that Bible? Let me show you why. Why do you have Sunday school class? Let me show you why. Everything we do, we should be able to defend from the word of God. Anchored down in the truth. And by the way, 
If you're not at the place where you could do that, let me encourage you. You can be. Every single person can. That's why we have things called discipleship. It's why we have things called the evening school of the Bible. This is why we do creation seminars. It's why we do things about the authorized Bible and the history of, history of the Bible. It's why we teach little seminars on music. Our goal is for you to know what you believe and why you believe it. You don't have to believe what I believe. You just need to be able to find it for yourself what the Bible says. And we're going to agree on the Bible. How about that? How do we survive? Why are churches so vulnerable today? Because we're at a place now where people don't know what they believe or why they believe it. We live in an age where people aren't taught the Bible at all. Someone gave these statistics. They said that the average church person 30 years ago knows as much as an average pastor does today. Think about that. We've been losing our Bible knowledge. Because we concentrate more on memes. We concentrate more on fluff. And we're not teaching the truth of the Bible anymore. And when you don't teach the truth of the Bible, then what happens is they're vulnerable to attack. What happens is that people can start to sway them and say, well, the Bible doesn't really believe this. No, salvation doesn't do that. This is, and they could start to confuse and tie you in proverbial spiritual knots. Every person needs to know what they believe and why they believe it. And if you don't, let me tell you there's good news. Let us teach you. We want to work with you so you know what you believe and why. Everything we do. That's the type of church that could weather a storm. That's a type of church that's not going to falter. It's not a type of church that's going to collapse within itself. It's not a type of church that's going to become an anti-church after a certain amount of time. It's a church that's going to be anchored and marching on. So let me ask you, we're members of the church here, those who are here, let me ask you, do you know what the Bible says for yourself? Are you learning? Are you at least you anchoring it down more? If somebody say, what do you believe about creation? What do you believe about evolution? Those are good questions. Could you describe salvation? That's a good question. Is Jesus or is God three persons? That's a good question. Is there only one God? How does that work? If Those are questions that we need to be able to have a reasonable answer to. What happens to someone in a foreign field who never heard about Jesus? Do they die and go to hell? That's a good question. These are questions we need to know for ourselves and not just because pastor believes it. Amen. You need to have, say what I believe for yourself. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.